I think that the story has started. <laughs> it's my journey to be more honest with myself about my gender. And I know that when I wrote what I wrote, I believed or wanted it to be true. I talked very much about this she who is running to me, and that's not the story at all. It's the TMI Project Podcast. A series of stories about the too much information parts of ourselves we usually leave out because we're too ashamed or embarrassed. This is season four, Pride Stories. You're Julie Novak, you're a lesbian. And you're Blake File, and you're a gay. That is correct. This season, we're going to profile some of the most incredible LGBTQIA storytellers and follow their narratives right up until the moment they walk on stage and read their monologues live in front of an audience. Before we get started, just want to let you know that as the TMI implies, some of this content might be too much information for some listeners. If you or someone you know is struggling, there is always help 24-7 at thetrevorproject.org. And remember, your support keeps our content free and accessible to everyone who wants to listen, gay or otherwise. So if you like what you hear and you're able to chip in, thank you. You can do so at tmiproject.org, where you can also find some fabulous merch. Yes, speaking of which, this season is brought to you by Mr. Julie Tees. And you guessed it, I'm Mr. Julie, your co-host and the designer of custom queer AF t-shirts. Don't just say gay. Scream it out loud with Mr. Julie Tees. A portion of our proceeds from all t-shirt sales will be donated to TMI Project to keep the creation and amplification of queer stories alive. Follow me on Instagram at Mr. Julie Tees and shop your favorite styles at MrJulieTees.com. Now, let's dive in. We have the fabulous Ness White, who is a storyteller, taking us on a journey back in time. And we're going to deal with issues of gender and with race and really the most important part of it, which is Ness trying to live in their authentic truth. It's truly a battle cry for taking one's rightful place in the world. It highlights the dual oppression a lot of queer folks face when we belong to more than one marginalized group. But it also illustrates, and this is so important, the power of having one caring adult in your life who really sees and supports you. All of these stories that we're telling this season are all about authenticity and trying to live our truth as queer people. Our authentic truth is love. It's us just being who we are. But in order just to live, we have to push through so much. And I think that's what makes the joy even greater and more palpable is that we know what it's like to have held that back. So when we actually can step into ourselves, it is just celebratory And it is important to celebrate queer joy as much as it is to discuss the trials and tribulations. But then we get to celebrate when they come out on the other side. And it's pure friggin' joy. And I'm absolutely here for that. I am here to cheer them on until they get to the fabulous proverbial finish line. Ness has gone through a significant evolution. It is unfathomable how many evolutions we as queer people go through. And that is worth celebrating because that's hard to own up to. It's a really special story and I'm really excited to get to, to listen to it again. 
Yeah, me too. Let's go right into it. Here is Ness White sharing their story in Kingston, New York in 2021. Stay tuned after the story to hear what Ness is up to today. I'm four years old. I'm on the playground at church, crawling through a tunnel with this little white girl and her white boyfriend. I don't like you, she says, and scurries away. I don't understand why she doesn't like me. What have I done? I don't know why she said that, but I know it hurts. I don't ever want to feel this again. I want to be liked, have friends, and feel confident. But no matter how much I think I can do something, there's always a voice outside of me, or the voice inside of me questioning and doubting my abilities. I pretend I have confidence. I pick someone I see with it and model myself after them. Usually, this person is a white man. White men have everything and can do anything they want. So as a kid, I go into my head and create a whole other identity for myself. I am a white boy. My name is Mason or Taylor or Michael or some shit. I have a different family. I go to a different school. I have different friends. I am cool and I am white. I'm five years old. Grandma is visiting. We're at the kitchen table. She looks at me and says, whenever you get sad, hug yourself. How do you hug yourself, Grandma? Like this, she said, wrapping her arms around her chest, raising her shoulders and smiling as she squeezed. Like this? <laughs> yes. Doesn't that feel good? Yeah. We spent the next few minutes hugging ourselves and giggling. I try to remember this moment whenever I'm sad. I'm six years old. I'm running in my first race. I get to the race early with my mother, father, and sister. This nice lady shows us the course, starting on a dirt path, then winding through some thickets, winding around again onto another dirt path, then straight toward the finish. I see the other kids and feel butterflies in my tummy up until the race begins. The flare gun goes off and so do I. Some of the smaller kids are having trouble keeping up. I run alongside them for a few seconds, smiling and telling them they can do it. As we approach the thicket, I pick up the pace a bit and see some other kids veering off track, getting lost among the trees. It's this way, I say, come on. They look my way and follow me back onto the track. I feel good helping them. I feel like I'm doing something right. But everything changes as I round the final corner. Spectators are cheering on both sides of the track. I'm far behind the pack and I see him, the white boy at the front, where I want to be, where I should be. Oh no, I think, not today. I pick up my pace, sprinting as fast as I can, just whizzing past all the kids. I'm almost there. Zoom, zoom, zoom. I'm so close, I can reach out and touch him. He looks over his shoulder and sees me, then turns and gives it everything he has. So do I. But it's not enough. He wins. He beats me. It doesn't matter that just like him, I'll get a blue ribbon that reads first place. I know we're not the same. I knew it when I saw his face, just before he won and I lost. If only I hadn't helped those kids, I think, crossing the finish line, then I would have been the winner. 
There's that feeling again, the one I never want to feel. The desire to be liked hurts. I'm 12 years old. I'm running again, but this time my auntie is chasing me in the house. I start running from her in the living room, through the dining room, darting around the corner, into the hallway, then pivoting into the kitchen. Ahead of me, I see the sliding door to the backyard is open and decide to book it outside. As I hit my top speed, I notice my cousin leaning over the couch. No! He screams, like they do in the movies, in slow motion. But it's too late. The next thing I remember, I stop short on the other side of the door. The high-pitched sound of glass debris falling behind me. I look down and see the shards on the ground. Have I really run through it? Busted through the glass door? I look over my shoulder at my mom and auntie still inside the house, jaws dropped, eyes wide. Am I dead? I ask. But I'm not injured at all. Not even a concussion. Not a cut. Not a nick. Not a scratch. I'm 16 years old. I still feel the need to be liked coursing through me as I'm looking in the mirror getting ready for high school. I see my face, the black mascara and eyeliner, the foundation that's not my color but covers my acne, the lip gloss I began wearing two years ago when that white girl in PE said I have nice lips. I see my hair straight and flipped at the end, the way the black girls in the music videos wear theirs. I see my tight blouse and my even tighter pants and my heels with a bag to match. I see what I'm hoping everyone else will see as perfection. I hope their approval makes this feeling go away. I look into my eyes before I walk out of the room. I see her, the real me. She's angry. She wants out, out of her cage, out of her misery. I can't let that happen. I'm afraid of her. I don't know what she'll do once she's free. I'm afraid of basking in my own brilliance. I'm afraid to love myself. I feel like life would only be harder if I did. Being proud of the real me, secure and solid and stable in my abilities, feels like weakness. If I were confident, I'd be alone. I'd be labeled difficult. At least this way, looking the way they want me to look and sounding the way they want me to sound, I can somewhat fit in. I can be somewhat loved, somewhat have a life, even though it's not really living. I want confidence, certainty, security. I want a lot of things I think I'll never have. I'm 25, then 30, approaching 34. The real me keeps trying to break out. I don't like looking in the mirror anymore, especially at night. I can't bear to look in her eyes. She makes my back hurt. She makes my jaw tight. She makes my fingers tingle and my arms hot. She won't leave me alone, even as I tell her I'm being more like her. I'm dressing like I think she wants me to dress. I'm using the name I think she wants to be called. I'm in a relationship with a woman with the love of my life. I'm even announcing, claiming, wearing my blackness, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's painful. Why isn't it enough? Why do I still have this feeling like I'm not enough? 
I sit with this feeling because that's all I can do. I'm in the bathroom, the door locked, lights off. I'm sobbing, wailing. Tears flow down my cheeks and snot pours out of my nose. I'm hugging myself like my grandma told me I should do when I get sad. I'm in the bathroom so long that I welcome the night with my crying. I feel a pull toward the mirror. I don't want to go, but I stand up anyway. I walk over to the glass, my arms still around my chest, and stare into her eyes. She doesn't look scary on this night. She looks powerful. She is. She could break this glass and step through it if she wanted. If I let her. She's done it before. She made it through. She broke through that glass and she's doing it again. But this time, she's not running from anywhere. This time, she's running to me. <laughs> caught up with Ness recently and asked them about the experience of sharing their story. It was gnawing at me. This need to love myself, especially at that time was 2020. The George Floyd protests were huge. Everybody was cooped up. I had a lot of time to reflect and I was thinking a lot about my blackness. I was thinking a lot about my identity. I needed to share that. I was reading it back today, and particularly the mirror scenes. I was looking at myself, how I was dressed, and created this perfect character to step out into the world. And that person that I created was very much a femme and used she, her pronouns. And in the story, I talk about seeing the real me, and I describe that real me as a her. And as I was reading the story back today, I was like, I covered myself up so much that I thought that that real me wasn't her. This story made me realize like, yeah, she, her pronouns, they're not for you. And you're kind of forcing it. You're trying to hold on to this part of yourself that you created. And she was beautiful and she helped you get to where you needed to be, but you can let her go now. You don't need her right now. You know, you need him. <laughs> he needs your attention. When I was rehearsing it, I remember toying with he, him pronouns and feeling really powerful and feeling really good with that. But I was scared. This story helped me to see how serious my sadness was and how it's actually depression. So I'm in therapy now and I'm working with my therapist and we're talking every week and that's been helpful. When it comes to my pronouns, I think that this story really pushed me to look at myself more deeply. A very special thanks to Ness for sharing their story with us. Next up is the one and only Zelda, a.k.a. Judith C. Miller, who, among many other talents, will share a story about how Marilyn Monroe's breasts nearly destroyed her in the best way possible. 
thank you so much for joining us. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. I'm Blake the Gay. And I'm Julie the Lesbian. TMI Project is available to offer true storytelling workshops and performances for your school or workplace. This episode of Season 4 of the TMI Project podcast, Pride Stories, was produced in partnership with Radio Kingston. It was edited and produced by Eva Tenuto and mixed by Stevie Mans. Our theme song is Secrets by Edison Woods. Our operations and programs manager is you, Blake File. That's right. And our marketing and digital coordinator is Laura Marie Ruoco. Our administrative assistant is Elijah Jackson. Our graphic designer is Lauren Gill. And our workshop leaders are Perla Ayora, Kaylee Kalnick, Haley Downs, Rain Grayson, Ray Lipkin, Dara Lurie, Micah, Eva Tenuto, you, Julie Novak, and me, Blake File. To learn more, support our work, and find a special writing prompt so you can start telling your own pride story, visit tmiproject.org forward slash podcast. <laughs>